right okay so just for you guys to know i am now going to start the tory says show i've paused uh the hearing that there well the anti-campaign the the campaigning against president trump so what i'll do is when i upload this to youtube i'll make an end podcast hopefully what i'll do is i'll create one video that's the comey hearing with everything we had just now in this first hour and a half the song as a break and then um, the continuation when we get back to the hearing, because we have a lot to talk about um, in regards to news. So we're going to start the Tory Says Show now. No one is safe in a Joe Biden America. Nobody is safe in a Democrat America. Now, yesterday, uh, the debate was pretty, pretty insane. So first off, I just wanted to say um, we didn't do the COVID test. We were supposed to do a COVID test way in advance. Um, <laughs> and it was not done. So, Hey, uh, so that's why we didn't go in, but, um, either way it was, it was a setup. Now there's a lot we could talk about. The president did exceptionally well, exceptionally well, considering that he was, uh, you know, up against two people. And I love the fact that, you know, it was blatant. He was running against Two people, Christopher Tarzan Wallace, we'll get to the Tarzan comment, and Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden, well, let me rephrase this. It wasn't two people. It was a team of freaking intelligence analysts. Uh, one of them feeding to Tarzan when he needs to interrupt the president and what to say, and the other ones that were controlling Joe Biden. Now, I'm going to say controlling because I'm going to take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I've said many times we're not ready for that conversation yet, and we're not. But I'm just going to tell you, I saw something uh, that someone was asking. Guys, he wasn't, the wire was not an earpiece. Damn it. There's so much <laughs> I want to say, and I can't. I really can't. I want to tell you. I want to tell you. Um, yes, there was an acoustic device, but it wasn't the usual. Um, you know, I even said, and I don't know if it was on air because uh, Millie and I had the microphone. She was like, if you're saying that that's not Biden, because I'm telling you that was not Joe Biden. She was like, no, don't say that. It's okay. We can disagree and I'm fine with that. That was not Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, there were there was a lot of tech 
that you would only think you watch in the movies right in your face. Now, beginning with the debate, I see my president coming out on stage pissed. He was pissed, like coming out, ooh, so ready. How's he going to call him out for not taking a drug test, for not being scanned for devices, for not, 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 not. Now, questions were shared, but how were they shared? I'm going to tell you, okay, how they were being shared and when they were being shared. The president, it was one man against a team. I repeat, a team. And this team, image going around of Biden, coughing into his left hand, with the cuffs showing what most believe to be a small mic. I went through C-SPAN video to look at, uh, to see what I could validate. I don't think it's a microphone. Looks to be some sort of electrodes, two maybe. So here is where it was visible. He coughed and it popped off. Here it is again. Here it is up close. Very nice uh, zoom in there. And there it is around here. Now, it's quite interesting. Now, I even said that what he was using was a cap on his mouth. I've used one of those bone conduction devices before myself. This is really old tech, old for people that have worked within you know, that space. It's really old. I mean, the first time I ever had that done, actually, you know, I'm not even going to share that story yet, but let's just say the first time I did it, um, uh, I, um, I was shocked because first of all, it was so clear. Second of all, no one would know. Um, and it was kind of like, I was thinking, wow, could we like stream some like, you know, music in the background, like dun, 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 dun. I can't. That was my first thought when I placed it. It's like a cap. I want you to picture, um, have you guys ever as kids taken like the big tops of pens and like slotted them over your tooth or whatever? I've done that. Um, I don't know if you guys have, it's a little bit weird as a kid. Um, so that's kind of like how it is. It's a cap. Uh, you, it literally looks like a tooth. It sits over your tooth. Um, I, the only thing it does, it, it irritates, uh, the jaw, uh, because it does have two prongs that extend so it can irritate. It's not, um, per se electrical. Um, my, um, right side, um, was very irritated to the point that I had an abscess once long story, long story. Um, so it's all the way in the back and I could see it because I could see with his teeth, something was different. He was wearing his bottom bridge only on one side. So I'm assuming that it was on his right side where he had it because the wire that was popping out, you guys under his jacket, that wire, right. Was the wireless transmission device. It has to be proximal, um, to the device. Uh, so you usually wear it. It's like for covert communication. So people can hear you and you can hear them. And this is why you would see him uh, use his mouth in a certain way. And he would clench down um, and he would look down because you innately do that when you're trying to listen inside. I can't explain it otherwise because I used to do it and I was told you can't do that. You're going to give it away. And I was like, who knows we have this tech. And it's like everybody eye rolled. And I was like, all right. Um, um, damn, are we going to get self-lacing shoes too? I'm just saying this is from a very long time ago, really old tech. Now, here you see a more zoomed in picture. 
Now, this can be many things because there's multiple devices. There's another one here. He's wearing that. There was one on the top um, and it was tucked in multiple devices. Now, when we use wearable technology, wearable technology can be activated in many ways. I don't know if you guys ever got Google Glass. I had. I tried them. It was really weird because you had to do some weird eye movements. You had to train it. Could you imagine um, <laughs> if you would have seen him do more eye movements? Well, here's where I want to get to this. So this could be a uh, one of these because there's multiple. And the one that popped off was possibly the acoustic device because it's usually put on the bottom side of the wrist. How do I know this? Because there was, um, there's a device that we have for a very long time. And it was more mainstream, I think maybe four or five years ago by a company named uh, Inamdolab. They had like a uh, Indiegogo or whatever, where you wear something like a watch, like your smartwatch, and it's on the bottom side of your wrist, right? And then um, you could take a phone call by simply putting your finger up to your ear via bone conduction. So you can like literally be talking with your finger on your ear and people will be like, what's that? Wait, hold on. Let me see. I found an article. Give me a sec. That's interesting. Here we go. I'll share it with you guys too. Let me get out of this screen and show it to you. So it's really old tech. I've used this before, um, but not with like a, so you can take phone calls with your finger and act like a secret agent. Here we go. And uh, it's a watch strap called Signal that'll let you take calls by holding your finger to your ear. It was Kickstarter. Okay, let's see. I remember that. And has um, gotten all of this, $99 early bird option. Um, and basically the watch strap transmits the sound of your voice call through your finger when you press the finger up against the ear. You see it? So this goes on the bottom of your wrist. So it could have been a listening device for the device crawling up to the wire that would wirelessly conduct, uh, you know, the information, whatever he's listening to uh, through the uh, dental cap. I don't want to call it implant. It's a cap. So, um, yeah, it's retail. I mean, see, the thing is, people think it's a rabbit hole or conspiracy theory. And it's like, hello, this stuff has been existing. I'm telling you the two thing, super abscess. Like, I had gone to the doctor and my blood pressure was at like 220. That's how much pain I was in. My face was like super massive too. So, um, you know, this stuff is real. It's not, you know, fake. But now I'm going to take you to the more bizarre portion of it. Um, let me see if I, I found the video for it. So um, this has existed before. I just want to say this technology has existed before in the past. Um, not many people use it. Uh, it's actually now public and more mainstream because uh, I said it to Millie and Gavin yesterday that were over my place. Dude, he's wearing the lenses. And it's like, what lenses? I'll show you what lenses. Here we go. This is from this year. Here it is. Public. Public. Okay. Public stuff. Here we go. Listen to this. Psst. 
something like this looks like complete science fiction that's at least decades away. But augmented reality contact lenses might be closer on the horizon than you might think. Wow, that is incredible. Heart rate data, speed, and even with your eyes shut, you will be able to see this because it's lit up and obviously the lens is sitting beneath your eyelid. It feels seriously sci-fi. On the fall of 2015, three Silicon Valley veterans, with two of them having bad eyesight, formed a secret startup under the cover name Tectus while they worked in stealth mode, not knowing if what they were doing would even be feasible. And as the years went by, they recruited talent from Apple, Amazon, HP, Google, and more to invent something that had never been built before using technology that was said to have to be called in from the future. Fast forward to January 2020, and the Tectus team came out of stealth mode under their new name Mojo, a startup with over $100 million in funding that promises to elevate humanity's vision with the world's first augmented reality contact lenses as a new player in the trillion-dollar cyborg revolution. AR has been around for a while now, so it's not anything special. We've seen things like Google Glass that can be extremely useful, but AR has never really taken off. Probably because people don't want to look like dorks walking around wearing something like that. That's where Mojo Vision claims to come in. They've created the world's first real smart contact lenses that's able to display useful heads-up information onto your vision without having something obtrusive like Google Glass. They're calling this new form of tech invisible computing, an albeit cheesy marketing term that really just means instead of computers being a separate bulky tool that gets in the way of your day-to-day -day life, it seamlessly integrates into your life so that it's there when you need it hands-free and you can forget that it even exists when you don't need it. Right now, their focus is helping people with different vision impairments see better by overlaying images over their vision, zooming in on objects, enhancing objects in their field of view, and other stuff like that. This one really hits home for me personally because I have a really weak left eye, so most of my vision is perceived through my right eye with my left really only serving as peripheral vision. Something like this could possibly change all of that and allow me to see the world in a whole new perspective without evasive, expensive, and scary eye surgery. But there are others who aren't fortunate as me and have much more impaired vision. And with something like Mojo or other startups, you can imagine that humanity's future will probably look a lot clearer. So I'm gonna stop but it doesn't stop there because in the future their goal is to make hold on i'm gonna stop that one and i'm gonna take you to this other one which is explaining it more now you have to understand that the use for this in the industry uh that um uh is now upon us is the use for it as uh a teleprompter so i'm gonna Fast forward to where this chick is checking out all this tech. Here we go. It's a teleprompter. Depths of one slightly more secret meeting spot came this view into the future. This is a contact lens that provides augmented reality. Apparently, it fits like any other scleral or semi-permeable contact lens. Now, this could be used for something like translation, that words would come up in front of you as you were having a natural conversation with someone. The idea is that this is all about invisible computing, that something like this should be less intrusive than having your phone in front of you. Wow, that is incredible. In a way, the fact that there's little enough information for it to not be totally distracting makes it better. I think if they put too much up, it would just become a bit overwhelming. 
whilst I wasn't allowed to actually wear it, just holding it up, I could see some simple stats right before my eyes, which having been sceptical in advance, I was pretty blown away by. So how was it possible to fit all of this into the lens? We've had to build our own wireless protocol between the contact lens and another wearable accessory because we had to manage power and data and size of chip. And that accessory connects to your mobile phone or the cloud to access additional computing resources and information. It's very comfortable. It fits to your eye. It corrects your vision uh, when you wear it. So if you have a prescription, uh, we build the prescription into the lens. Heart rate data, speed, and even with your eyes shut, you will be able to see this because it's lit up and obviously the lens is sitting beneath your eyelid. It feels seriously sci-fi. And there you have it. What to wear to see and feel the future. Okay, so I wanted to rewind this just a bit on the feeling the future part because that's going to take us to the next portion of this rabbit hole. Are you ready? finger. Sixto is a device for people who have limited mobility in one hand, so it could be due to a stroke or something like that. Now the way it works is you position the bad hand where it needs to grab hold of something and this joystick, which will be held in the good hand, is used to be able to close the device so that you can actually pick something up. One of the other benefits of this is it actually encourages somebody to use a hand which isn't functioning properly rather than holding their arm in a position where it's likely to get stiffer. But in the depths of one slightly more secret meeting spot came this view into the future. This is. So here's where we're going to go to the next portion of that, um, that tweet because there were a lot of people that were saying things that you know, weren't very correct, but, you know, great guesses. I mean, if you're not familiar with this technology. So, Rabchevsky, Dr. Rabchevsky was one of, uh, a professor that I work with, um, who's actually uh, from a car accident, handicapped from, he had spinal cord injury. Um, I studied under him for a couple months in his laboratory, because uh, I was uh, looking at no-go. No-go is like a garbage that mitochondria leave. Um, and I actually wrote a paper on that um, in regards to secondary inflammation being the cause of permanent uh, spinal cord injury paralysis uh, because uh, there's an innate immune response that comes in like to help you. And then there is a secondary immune response that comes in and that's what causes um no go, which is pretty much a scar. It causes a scar on your spinal cord. So the spinal cord can't regrow. Now I had submitted that paper to the Dina and Christopher Reeves foundation. Um, and, and told them that if, uh, a patient that is, uh, you know, from a motor vehicle accident within the first 30 minutes is, uh, given, incredible amounts of steroids and placed into a zero G uh, facility, his spinal cord will regrow because secondary immune response happens with the apetosis and that requires gravity. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little bit technical. I think I have the, I think that's the paper. Uh, I have it somewhere. I have to find it. It was so long ago. I did that back in 2010, um, so 10 years ago, but it, it relied on the fact that, um, Tensegrity, which is something I'm pissed that someone else took from me too, uh, because I had written to this professor in Harvard because uh, he was looking at um, 
uh, intergalactic space flights because he was checking out how gravity responds to plants and how, you know, they have a certain cells in them plants to know which way gravity goes in order to grow roots down and grow up. But when they're in space, uh, they um, kind of don't know if there's zero gravity, the plants just go everywhere. Right. So, um, Anyway, so he was studying it like that, and I was looking at it from an immune response um, and more so how DNA uh, responds to it, you know, uh, changes in the gravity. Uh, that's, that was my that, – that is why I went in there. The uh, finding out of how the mitochondria respond, mitochondrial DNA and uh, responses are was just a byproduct. So, um, so having said that <laughs> – Having said that, he was inventing a way to use uh, remote remote sensors because he wants to walk again. He's he's a brilliant mind. Um, Robchevsky is his name. Really great guy. I, he was at the University of Kentucky. Could still be there. Um, great. I mean, his research is great. And I know he's doing it for his own personal cause. He wants to walk again. So he actually did. There are devices that you can neurostimulate uh, and control that stimulation uh, to your legs and to your thighs and to your buttocks so you can walk. So here's where we're going to go down this thread for a second. Um, so asked him, do you know what it is? Short clip. Here's the clip where it popped off. Um, so I just wanted to say there were people uh, that were responding. Oh, it looks like a little IV thing. It's not, it's totally not. It's an electronic device. You can see it. Um, uh, Electrical nerve stimulation, very good. That was really good. Um, not so much for dementia, but here's the thing. Like I said, <laughs> we're not ready for that conversation yet. But when you want to, okay, let me see. I can't play it because I won't be able to upload it on YouTube. So I'll describe it. Do you guys remember that movie where... If you watched it, it's like a dystopian universe and people were wearing these body suits to go into um, uh, the video game or the alternate reality. So those body suits would detect your movements or your thought of movement and they would project that uh, onto an all, you know, a virtual reality type world. Now that exists. We know that, right? We see it in movies when they train, right? With those special suits and then they recreate the characters. No, we're not ready for that conversation. I'm sorry. Uh, we're totally not. But you've seen it where they take your body's information and movements and then translate it into virtual. Well, from real to virtual, well, what do you think? You can't do it from virtual to real? Get what I'm saying? So it could be someone that is translating from a virtual end or virtual mean to an actual three-dimensional vessel. I'm going to leave it right there because <laughs> this looks like what Rubchevsky had on his um, calves when he was showing us. And so 
exactly. There we go. Biden fits exactly what they want for president. Someone that they can, you know, pull the strings on. So if you have smart lenses that can see and show uh, what's going on, if you have uh, neurostimulation where it's needed for responses to be the same, if you, you know, could be that the vessel is indeed like the president says, he doesn't even know that he's running for president. Uh, he doesn't even know what he's doing. Uh, I'm trying to show you many things that could have happened. Now, it doesn't matter. They're going to cheat. They're going to cheat like nobody's business. I mean, they cheated so bad that there was a visible difference from C-SPAN in the lighting for these two. Okay. There was a visible difference. Uh, you could see that Joe had a higher gamma, um, you know, light on him. President Trump, even the background, the blue background was orange and he was sharp. Whereas, you know, Biden was softened and he had like a Instagram, Snapchat beautifying filter. It was ridiculous. Um, and then I saw that the, the right had, uh, the left had gotten into a rabbit hole seeing, seeing hair clips that the president had. I don't know if any of you ladies or men use, um, you know, hair clips, you know, to put extensions and stuff. So they saw this hair clip and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's like deep brain stimulation <laughs> ports. I kid you not. Or an IV port. It was the funniest stuff ever that I had ever seen. Um, but uh, it was, it, it was funny. It was funny. But okay. So Biden had help of technology that you're not, well, it's out there now, but you've got to be insanely re rich to have access to it. Um, so whatever, you know, they're cheating. The bottom line is they're cheating. So how did they get this information? It doesn't necessarily mean that the questions were released beforehand, right? Because they had a team of at least 20, 30 people working on just the Biden side, let alone the analysts in, you know, Tarzan Wallace's ear telling him what to say to the president, when to interrupt him. You know, whenever he was on a roll, it was like breaks, breaks, reclaiming time. It felt like when they had that hearing with Attorney General Barr, I was sick to my stomach watching it. I just couldn't watch it. I was just like, this is ridiculous. He's not going to get a word in. Um, and I, I said it, didn't I? Oh, no, Wallace is going, this is going to be a clown show. And that is exactly what it was. It was the biggest clown show I had seen in a very, very long time. I could not believe what a clown show that was. Uh, I was devastated to see how nobody, nobody, nobody bothered to say, hey, this is the clown show. Um, this shouldn't be happening. And uh, this should be fixed. And uh, we shouldn't be doing this. Nope, 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 nope. It was done as it should. So um, now that we agree that uh, Joe Biden had a lot of help, then what do we do now with this circus?
What do we do with this circus? Hmm? Big circus. Super big circus. So what do we do? How do we stop the circus? Do we call them out and try to educate the world in the new sciences that we have? Do we tell the world, hey, guess what? He's probably not him. Clone lives matter. He's an empty vessel. There's other people using joysticks or something. What do we say? He's being fed. He's got teleprompters in his contact lenses. How do you say that to someone who's 60, 70 saying rubbish, rubbish? Or the young people that are like, what? Is that real? Can't be real yet. So how do we stop it? The way we stop it is by amplifying what our president is saying and ensuring that we're constantly repeating those messages. That's the only thing we can do at the moment because it is what it is. And the reason that it is like this is because they're going to keep on going. What are we going to do? Jam signals. There's got to be signals for Secret Service. How are you going to be able to know that they're not using another frequency? It could be just a proximal frequency, something as simple as Bluetooth between uh, hard-loaded data within a block that he's wearing up his butt. You don't know. There's ways around it. I've had ways around having information that I can access to in situations where they should not be able to see any emission of signal. So your phone is put in a box, you pass through somewhere and they put you in a Faraday case, like a physical one per se, right? And you're supposed to still garner, use information and be able to retrieve it. How do you do it? With proximal communications, there's so much there's so many ways of doing it. And, you know, that technology is just not privy to the average person. The president has said our technology is light years ahead of what you know. I'm of the fact that everyone should have a nice little Faraday bag with a, you know, solar uh, battery that can charge a few phones through solar, stick it in there, get a USB drive uh, or an SD card that you can load with a phone you don't need that has enough memory, at least 128, um, and stick it in the Faraday bag and forget it. Because the only way to fix this right now, I'm telling you, is a pure blackout. You, you EMP the crap out of everything. Everybody loses everything. Everybody starts from zero. I'm, I'm just saying, this is just me saying, just saying. Now, let's go to Tarzan for a second before we get into the nitty gritty here. So some people gave such, oh my gosh, this was like the best, the best ever. Tarzan to the rescue. Tarzan Wallace and Sleepy Joe. That is the perfect meme. My favorite meme of all. You know what? I need to retweet that again. That is like my favorite meme of all. Um, so many memes. <laughs> I just can't get over this cloth thing. I really can't. I really can't. I can't. I can't. But this is perfect. Um, obviously, uh, Wikipedia changed the page, but we've documented it, so we're good. Uh, his actual middle name is Tarzan. And that's the truth. Um, these are perfect. We should send him that for his birthday. <laughs> yeah, totally spamming him with that on his birthday. His wife's middle name is Jane, too. 
So where do we go? Let's talk about the actual debate. The president got a lot in, you know, 40, 47 years, zero, 47 months, hero. You know, I was shocked when he was saying things like, oh, I'm going to create 7 million jobs. How For who, Joe? You created millions of jobs for the Chinese. Are you talking about the Chinese again? He kept saying, oh, it's not true about my son. Because you said so? I mean, we got the receipts. Um, huh. So here's the press secretary. Ooh, wrong, wrong tab. Wrong tab. I wonder if they started yet. No, they haven't. Okay, so wrong tab. Let me get to the press secretary, how she responds to what happened, um, uh, you know, at the first debate. Her response is pretty, pretty solid. I liked it. Take a listen. Kaylee McEnany is with me, uh, President Trump's press secretary. All right, uh, Kaylee, you saw the president right after he walked off the set, I think, last night. I mean, you were there. Um, does he think, did he tell you right after he walked off the set that he thinks he won the debate? Does he think that? Yes, he does. Um, he was in very good spirits. He brought the fight that I think the American people wanted to see. The American people wanted to see the president question Joe Biden in a way that the media never does. He gets a pass. You've seen those softball questions. And President Trump took on the role of both the media, what they should be doing, and a candidate sharing his record with the American people. However, his style, the frequent interruptions, I mean, the insults came from Biden, but the frequent interruptions and the talking over everybody, that was a lot from President Trump. And I think that's what the audience didn't like and will turn off. Do you think he's going to, would he change his style for October 15th, the next uh, debate? Well, one thing I'll note is the next debate is a much different format. It's a town hall. He'll be talking to voters. So by nature, it will be a different format, uh, a different tactic. But what I'll say is this. The offense style of the president got the former vice president on the record with no answer to, has a single police organization endorsed you? Will you condemn Antifa? Are you going to pack the Supreme Court? Because the president was on offense, the American voter left that debate with a distinct answer and look at this vice presidential candidate or former vice president presidential candidate that they had not had previously. There's not many people left undecided in the middle. Do you really think that you converted any of them to the Trump side last night? I think voters ask themselves this, who do I want sitting across from President Xi of China? Who do I think will be the best uh, leader of this country, ready to take the fight to world leaders, um, standing up and aggressively advocating for the American worker as factories um, come under threat as they did under the Obama-Biden administration and manufacturing jobs dwindled? Who's going to be the person to stand up for my job, my country? Make your criminal case. Look, that's up to the DOJ as to whether they open an investigation, but we're very concerned when the private documents of the president of the United States or any American are leaked to a media outlet, which then publishes that information on the front page. We also know, by the way, the New York Times, of course, uh, published classified intelligence when they uh, talked about the, the Afghan bounties that was unverified intelligence, but of course splashed across the pages of the New York Times. These things are serious. Um, we know the IRS was used to target T party groups. And it's very important uh, that we do not weaponize parts of the government against American citizens or against the president of the United States. Let me go back to Joe Biden. What's your response to this? Biden won 
simply because he got through the whole 90 minutes, no gaff, no senior moments, no lack of focus, and reasonable amount of energy all the way through. Therefore, he survived, he won. What do you say? Yeah. I think no gaffes. That's a really subjective interpretation. I would consider it a pretty big gaffe when asked about Antifa, an organization that has killed Americans and targeted police officers, and there's no condemnation of that group. I'd consider that a pretty big gaffe along with many others. Look, um, the media was dying to write the headline this morning. Joe Biden prevails. Joe Biden exceeds expectations. Notably, you don't see those headlines out there. Instead, you're seeing the question, should there even be two other debates? That's a question a loser asks, not someone who thinks they won the debate. Kaylee, I know you're busy, but thank you very much, Kaylee McEnany, for making time to come on our show this morning. We so, okay, so the debate, I'm going to tell you, President Trump won that debate because uh, Biden didn't say anything. He went against his own policy. He was like, no, not the Green New Deal. Dude, that's like in your pages, like in your manifesto, right, that everybody wrote, right, for you has Green New Deal all over it. So he makes absolutely no sense. He also called Antifa an ideology. And I was terrified if Wallace, who his daddy is a very good friend of Epstein's, was, was. Uh, <laughs> I was terrified that they're going to be like ideology. Here we go, ideology, QAnon, ideology, ideology, ideology. Christianity is an ideology. Are you getting where I'm going with this. Now, uh, you know, I've already seen it. I I know what's coming. And it was something that was pushed back from the early 2000s. We did that. And, you know, the corrupt ones responded just the way they should with 9-11 because they knew that they would have very little ground. And again, if you want to know what ground or what territory they're going for, all you have to do is look at where we're having the hot spots within our nation. Now, people need to, again, be able to what? Discern for themselves. I've said that. Look at what you believe is correct. Don't listen to what other people are telling you is correct. What resonates with you as correct. That's what you have to look at. What resonates with you? Not what uh, what your friend tells you, not what some blue check mark tells you or what someone who has, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Oh, listen to me. Everybody follows me. I know. No, 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 no. Did you guys know what job Hunter Biden had in the Navy? I, I just want to see on the chats. Does anybody know what his job was in the Navy? What job did Hunter Biden have? There's one. Anybody else? So he was a PAO. You know who else is a PAO that a lot of people follow? Anybody know who else was a PAO in the Navy? Yeah, but a PAO is a public affairs officer. So they're like a reality hacker. Do you guys know who else was a reality hacker for the U.S. Navy? That everybody follows and thinks that, yeah, there we go. There we go. So, okay. Okay. So you get it where I'm going with this. 
you have no idea how many people are right there. Now, <laughs> all you have to do is know, you know, and I said this yesterday too. Uh, I feel like a hypocrite because almost every, no, I'm, I, you know, yeah, almost, well, one, no, they all are. <laughs> Even the ones we love that we wait for the press secretary to call on or the president for questions were placed there. Okay. Placed there. Placed there. They're all knowing or unknowing assets, period. That includes me. I mean, I'm, I'm transparent about it and obviously not part of that anymore and uh, kind of stepped back from it because it just wasn't right. Sometimes you just wake up yourself and say, just stop. No, nah, man, this isn't the future I want for my children. <laughs> I don't want to be in the city while everyone else is in the country. I want my kids to enjoy the city and the country. That's the thing. Everyone's an asset. Everything is controlled from the left and the right. And many people sitting there talking about the stupid hearing, like I said, the Comey hearing today is nothing but an anti-Trump campaign. That is all it is. This is where they're sitting there and talking smack about the president, talking smack about everything when the truth is right in front of us. Hold on. So we had uh, the declassification happen. I want you to listen to this report and then we're going to travel in a very short time machine back to something we discussed over two months ago. Okay, take a listen to this. Hunter Biden's dealings, watch. China ate your lunch, Joe, and no wonder your son goes in and he takes out, he takes out billions of dollars, takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, Simply while we're at true. it, why is it just out of curiosity? you mean not true it's totally true we have the receipt simply not true not true not where's we have the receipts dude did your did hunter pay taxes on 1.5 billion 1.5 billion curiosity the mayor of moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars what did he true. do to deserve it that what did he do with barista to deserve one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars answer if not none of that is true oh, really he totally didn't give no, half mr million? president it's totally mr. president please totally discredited totally discredited joining me right now is california congress so before we get into what they're going to talk about, who discredited those reports? It's kind of like when USA Today did a write-up on Shadowgate. Yeah, we totally discredited whatever they said. And it's like, mm, but you didn't. You just said it's a QAnon production. And that's it. And then you started talking about QAnon. And you, USA Today, were victim of it. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice piece. <laughs> I didn't mind it. Millie was like, that's a hit piece. I was like, man, that's really good considering they're the only ones the MIC didn't say, don't you dare touch this because they're going to respond. We don't want the public knowing about this. That's why they didn't talk about it. That's why they didn't write about it. But they needed their tools, the same tools Obama has been using. You know, that's going to come out on Shadowgate 3. <sighs> which I hate, see, because if I would have said it three years ago, people would be like, well, wait a minute, what? So I'm going to, it's going to be kind of a, ta-da. Um, but yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they didn't touch it. 
but they all discredited it by banning everywhere and everyone pulling down pages. Um, that's how they discredit things by just saying, Oh, it's discredited. Who discredited it? It's like, it just is just, just listen. Okay. We know. A ranking member of the house intelligence committee and house ways and means committee member, and author of the new book, Countdown to Socialism, Congressman Devin Nunes. Also joining the conversation all morning this morning, Dagan McDowell and former senior advisor to the Clintons, the president of the Stagwell Group, Mark Penn. Great to have everybody this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Congressman Nunes, thank you so much for being here. I want to read My you pleasure. Kimberly Strassel's uh, comments uh, after, after Joe Biden and the uh, Hunter Biden news. She says, why is Biden allowed to repeat that the facts about Hunter, as put out by the Senate committee with data from the Treasury Department, are discredited. Every newspaper has quoted the money Hunter took from Ukraine to China. It's all true. Even Hunter admitted it. And yet Biden stands there last night and says it was all debunked. Well, look, Maria, it was a little bit of deja vu where you had Biden, essentially the avatar candidate, uh, regurgitates talking points. Uh, and it was like being in an alternative universe. Okay. Remember when I was talking about the movie? Let's just listen to his words again. Just listen carefully. True. Even Hunter admitted it. And yet Biden stands there last night and says it was all debunked. Well, look, Maria, it was a little bit of deja vu where you had Biden, essentially the avatar, avatar candidate, candidate. Uh, regurgitates talking points. Uh, and it was like being in an alternative universe. You had Biden still last night accusing Trump of having something to do with Russia. And meanwhile, no one in the mainstream media, including last night, pushed for Biden to answer the question. You've been attacking Trump and Republicans for having something to do nefarious with Russia for four years now. And he won't answer the question why his son took three and a half million dollars from a well-known Russian oligarch with ties to Putin. Uh, it's, it's simply amazing that he's not pushed to answer that question. It really is, Congressman. And of course, we got the Senate Intel report. Uh, Before we get into that, can you see why President Trump was pissed? Can you see why I was pissed? I was standing there. <laughs> And I know Gavin looked at me. He's like, you know what's going on? I'm like, he's so pissed. He's so pissed. And as the debate was going, I just knew. And I was just like, damn it. Damn it. We're not, you know, out in the open. But yeah, they all know. You see where I was going with um, explaining to you guys about the little electrodes around his wrist and what they do and how they help maneuver certain things maneuver certain things, pull some strings, pretty big rabbit hole. But as you can see, you know, it's a hard one for people that don't understand how technology works to accept. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it if I said, Hey, look, you see this totally looks living, breathing, you know, from a couple feet, you wouldn't even tell. And I'm using a joystick. It's not like Sophia. Sophia is out in the public to make you think that's how they look. Because you're not going to use inert material. You're going to merge, right?
this week that showed that they wiped 29 phones in the Mueller investigation. And then this declassification last night from John Ratcliffe, breaking news that I first reported uh, years ago about uh, speculation that this was, in fact, the case. It's a bombshell. New Crossfire Hurricane documents released by uh, DNI, John Ratcliffe. And uh, Ratcliffe outlines it in a letter to Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham that Hillary Clinton approved a plan to link then-candidate Donald Trump to Putin and the Russian hacking of the DNC. The letter says that the Obama administration was briefed on the allegations as well. And here's what it says. On September 7, 2016, U.S. intel officials forwarded an investigative referral to FBI Director Jim Comey and Deputy Assistant Counterintelligence Head Peter Strzok regarding, quote, U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hackers hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail server. Of course, if you've been Okay. So I don't want to say I told you so because anybody that says, oh, she's just really good at researching. I don't know how. I'm going to stop it right there before you listen to the rest so you can see. I don't know how many times I have to say I heard everything, saw everything, I had access to everything for someone to get it. So... I created a timeline for you back in July of 2019. Now, listen, and for those of you that are watching, watch. Here's where I tell you how things went down. Because I want to show you a timeline. Uh, the article's name is Breaking FBI Paid CrowdStrike for DNC Server Work. Yes, the FBI had paid CrowdStrike. I found the receipt number. It's PIDDDJF1512000 PAPA0076049. Here is uh, the receipt. The link is there, so you can go see it on the federal database. They had hired CrowdStrike. They hired CrowdStrike um, on July uh, on July um, 8th, 2015, and payment was released on July 7, 2016. That's only two days after FBI Director Comey exonerated Hillary Clinton. Now, the one question that we all ask is why the FBI never got their hands on the DNC and RNC servers that were allegedly hacked. I believe it's not a hack because it is the typical MO of the way uh, this fourth unelected branch of government works. Now, in this article, you're going to realize that CrowdStrike was not only partnering with the FBI to help them exonerate Hillary Clinton. Their job in that scope of work that they did was to locate um, her emails that were still living on some other server that is of public interest that could be subpoenaed and looked at and to trace back and try to figure out who was the one that had tipped off Congress by evaluating all the information they had. Now, it just so happened that both the DNC and the RNC hired CrowdStrike because of this alleged hack. Now, Think of it this way. If you have a server that's uh, a federal government server, you can't access that server and delete information without getting caught. There's going to be a fingerprint. But if you allege a hack, you can go in there and make it look like anything happened. And we all know that the report from CrowdStrike was riddled with BS. 
I mean, the code was completely Chinese, made to look Russian. It was a complete hoax because their job was to go in there and eradicate any footprints. So the FBI never asked for it and where it is. Now, many people will say, well, they said it was a Russia hack. Well, listen, if you're if you get hacked and you have no idea who did it and it wasn't a hack, you know, then you're going to blame someone because then if it's an enemy, which is Russia, they would never blame China, right? But Russia, um, they can then say if Russia, if any of that came out, they'd be like, oh, they're a Russian agent and they made that up. We never made an agreement with this country. We never negotiated with terrorists in Lebanon. We never negotiated with terrorists in Libya. We never had agreements with, you know, Iraqi insurgents. We never exchanged people for money with the cartels, you know, all that stuff. Oh, it's just manufactured. Don't look at it because that's the type of stuff and deals that were done. And so the FBI didn't tell us they hired CrowdStrike. Why? conflict of interest maybe or maybe that that contract where they hired CrowdStrike to find her emails and delete them Peter Strzok was on that and was also on the mid-year exam and was also <laughs> on everything on the DNC hack too which is incredible he was everywhere because Peter Strzok was a CIA asset for John Brennan imagine how many more of those are sitting within our FBI within other agencies right now you know, there's a lot of them. So they didn't come clean. There were no checks and balances because the same company across the board, no Chinese walls per se, as they say, uh, you know, in law firms, right? No Chinese walls. And, you know, Strzok was actually grooming the IT director of the DNC to hand over access. And he was trying to create the storyline of a hack, because they needed to get in there. See, they realized that some of those emails trace back to people that were within the DNC, DCCC, RNC. Yep, Ron, I'm talking to you. All these people uh, had emails from Hillary Clinton at some point in time. So what they needed, and, you know, there were a lot of McCain emails. There were a lot of Lindsey Graham emails. You know, this article tells you, walks you through it. But I want you to see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture comes not just from the interview transcript, which pretty much shows you without a doubt that the FBI was grooming this, you know, multi-named, uh, you know, IT director. But you're going to see where it all started. And this is what they did to hide the truth. Walking you through from 2012, the first thing that should ring an alarm is that Congress received information from an anonymous source that Hillary Clinton was using private emails uh, and server for official use, Benghazi. The reason I see this is I want you to know a lot of people think that in this day and age, there are protections. Now, if we're being monitored, then so are they. But here's the thing, just because you're able to uh, access information, like, for example, if I was able to access information that showed, uh, you know, criminality, right, by um, individuals within the government, if I did that without permission, without having a need to know, I can go to jail, because that's a violation of my oath. But... It's, it, but keep in mind, 
if I was assigned to go and retrieve information, look at information, parse information, peruse information, and I find evidence of a crime, it is not a crime to report a crime. Now, one might say, well, we have inspector general set up. Stop. We already know how that works. And, you know, nine times out of 10, the people that actually give uh, such information to people in Congress or the Senate or trustworthy generals like, you know, General Flynn or something um, are people who are contractors and are not afforded rights of whistleblowing protection. Uh, Patrick Berge, the creator of ShadowNet, uh, asked for whistleblower protections and he was not afforded them because he was a contractor. And I've spoken about contractors. I've explained to you why they use them. This is how they remove liability from the actions being done. Now, in my article, I go on to describe how you yourself can identify uh, certain codes that they use, like the number 130, which means inside job, on a public forum. It's time to take our numbers back, hence why we're doing this on the 19th. So I knew that they had hired CrowdStrike. I've been kind of inching and saying it, but I never had the receipt. So since I found the receipt, God bless America for updating records, I guess. I don't know. I thought I'd talk about it. Now, not only that, if you put that hand in hand with the testimony of the DNC IT director, you'll just see how elaborate their cover-up is. And you can see it through this timeline. Look, the the Congress relieves a tip, reveals uh, receives the tip. Um, no one knew about it though. November, Hillary Clinton changes to a Google server. December, congressional investigators ask her, "Do you use private emails?" Right. So she changed it right before they asked her, so she knew. In March of 2013, Brennan was sworn in as a CIA director. Then Gawker releases an article saying that some guy named Guzifer had her emails, and so. Then we go to March here and Brennan starts to secretly spy on Congress because he wants to find out who this person is, right? So then we go to July and she changes her server again. <laughs> so then in 2014, and this is important, remember, she changed her server in 2013 again. So all of this is gone because even in Comey's statement that I've linked up in my article, you're going to see that he doesn't talk about before July 2014. So April, Flynn is forced to retire. Over collections, uh, you know, on all presidential candidates begin. And then the OPM alleged hack that was used to be able to give that all that information and data to uh, General Hayden and General Jones through Clearforce so they can crunch it out and see who may or may not have been responsible for this and um, figure it out. But, you know, when it's, um, filed under um, the um, a specific clause, right? There's a specific clause within the government um, which allows the government to hide things forever. It's called state secret privilege. The minute something file is filed under there, it means, oh, it's buried and it's forgotten forever. I'll tell you what, nine times out of 10, if it's sealed under there, it's bleached, eradicated, obliterated, uh, you know, manufactured, falsified. That's how they get rid of stuff. 2015, Hillary Clinton ignored questions from Congress email in 2012, right here, right? She ignored that. Whoop. 
IG of the State Department suddenly comes to the forefront. You know, the loser, Linick, that finally got fired, that I've been crying about for so long. Why is he still there? He asked to create a secret separate server. And then he was responsible to release all her emails, but he said he needed time up until January 2016, slowly. You know, just enough time for the FBI to mitigate because that's where the FBI had hired CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike was hired to find all these and get rid of them. That same year, um, you know, in 2015, Clinton apologized. Then she agreed to turn over her thumb drive and her server, which one? Then she, uh, you know, did all these things. Oh, you know, she, first she's like, I didn't send any classified. She did. And then she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Then on September 8th, <laughs> John Brennan gets in contact with his favorite FBI agent. We all know who that is. Um, that's actually a CIA asset to reach out to the DNC and begin rapport with the DNC IT director. So they had multiple, multiple phone calls. So John McCain also reached out to his RNC um, contact uh, to and asked him to provide him access to specific emails and on headers of emails um, that he requested. Now, November 15th, uh, the conversation around that time, uh, the FBI agent told the DNI's, uh, DNC's IT director that, oh, Russians are involved. But not state sponsor, he just said Russians, right? He was telling him, oh, you're going to see these phishing emails. Oh, you're going to see someone coming in and hacking into the emails and, like, deleting stuff. So he was getting him ready. He was telling him what he was going to see, right? You're going to see this, and the guy couldn't see anything. Like, he searched and searched and searched, couldn't find anything. Now, in December of 2015, coincidentally, the DNC finally gets a new firewall, which means all the logs and stuff are now gone. <laughs> so then we go to um, uh, January of 2016, the FBI agent asked the IT director to look for specific indicators. Um, you know, then um, uh, we had, uh, well, this one is wrong. I'm going to edit it. It's January, the first meeting. But the DNC IT guy couldn't find anything again that the FBI claimed, even with like, here, look for this backslash, blah, blah, blah. You know, he looked and looked and couldn't find anything. The RNC server was imaged image in February. Um, and so was the DNC server. It was imaged without the IT director's knowledge, obviously. And that happened when the two FBI agents turned up just saying. Um, so in March, uh, the FBI agent that was involved in the DNC grooming of this IT director saying, oh, we're just looking for emails that are hacks, meets with Sussman, who was, by the way, Hillary Clinton and the DNC's lawyers, just so you know. And they meet and discuss the DNC server and supposedly mid-year exam emails, you know, planning it out, basically. So in March, it was determined by CrowdStrike that, hey, uh, someone used something called Chinese tech. It was not. It's, it's similar, but it's not. It's Dooku. It's like Dukes, they call it, right? It's like uploading data to an unknown location as it's being extracted. So if I give you like a USB drive, you know, there's software in the USB drive that allows the computer to recognize that it's a USB drive so you can load stuff on there, right? So just think of it that way. That goes for high capacity hard drives, high capacity SD, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, it means that the government device that they used 
to image the server had malware in it. And the way this works is, you know, you load all these files in and then, you know, I, I give you the USB key and it's loaded with this data. And the minute, um, you know, you get to your computer and you put it in and start extracting or opening files or copying files, whatever you're doing, that's already working. It's connected to the internet and it's uploading everything. So it has already unloaded the data on your computer, put it in there in a corner and it's sending it in packets as it can. Huge, massive upload that could take days to upload, just so you know. So they determined that there was this malware when they did this. Um, so in March, we also had that Ted Cruz and President Trump were the favors and, you know, they were leading in the polls. So entrapment started. So they were investigating Ted Cruz because there's FISA warrants on Ted Cruz, too, and others, uh, just so you know. Um, well, it's just Ted Cruz, I think. And um, uh, they were they were looking at Marco. He's like one of them. So, I mean, I don't even know why they were looking at him. But anyway. Um, so they started this whole trying to plant things because now they didn't know who had this information where it went, they needed to find out. So they started sending spies into all campaigns because they were like, holy crap, if, you know, this gets out and one of these candidates gets it, you know, they're going to use it against us is blackmail. And I want you to think about it. Okay. For a second, Google, you know, well, Silicon Valley, all of them. Imagine how much blackmail they have on all these clowns. Imagine, imagine, imagination. Just think about it. So anyway, so we go here where we're in March of 2016. They're starting to do plans. They're starting to do things. And then, you know, they hire at the beginning of April, they hire CrowdStrike. So um, CrowdStrike comes into the scene. And then just as CrowdStrike comes into the scene to supposedly assist in helping locate what the FBI was telling the DNCIT director, but he couldn't see any of it, right? The FBI slams them with like a request, hey, we need all these logs. So what do they do? They call in the lawyer of the DNC, Sussman. Sussman's like, yeah, we're totally going to give it to them. Maybe you should partner with CrowdStrike and they'll help you. So they start, you know, collecting because they know over days they're going to be uploading a lot of information to a secure, you know, cloud where to a secure cloud where the FBI will download it with a special key. Now, uh, about a day or two into that uploading this information for the FBI, you know, the uh, DNC IT director is totally looking at, you know, what's going on uh, in the DNC. Like he's just paying attention and suddenly he sees people hacking emails. Oh my gosh, what is the coincidence of that? Who is logging on, deleting emails and doing things? And he panicked. He got his whole team. We got to find it. But it was someone anonymous hacking. So the anonymous person was hacking when they knew he was on 24-7 monitoring because he was sending secure information to the FBI. Total coincidence. Okay. So <laughs> they completed the transmission on April 30th. In May, Plab River Networks actually imaged the DNC server um, publicly, right? And then CrowdStrike took control of the server data and said that there was a Stuxnet type infiltration, an APT cyber attacks. Now, Stuxnet was something that was created by contractors back in the early 2000s under Bush. And I know they love to call it Russian, but it's totally not. Uh, it's part of Project Olympic Games. Huh. Get it? And that evolved into D-U-Q-U. <sighs> so they say that's what happened. So then um, 
you know, the, then they figure out that um, they got confirmation that uh, they were able to finally track that the imaging device that was used by them, by the FBI or CrowdStrike, whoever entered and imaged them, like Seth Rich, I don't know. Um, that imaging device actually uploaded all that data over a period of a couple of days, I think, um, okay, I'm not going to say, um, to a forum, like, you know, like a forum where people post, like you chat and it's like posting stuff and whatever. And they knew that it was ripped. So they traced it back to this anonymous board um, from some tracers that were on things. So now we go to June, CrowdStrike had already eliminated, bleached, assessed the DNC server, RNC server. They deleted all the emails they were hired to do. And they also gave, uh, you know, a report that the FBI so nicely took in where they used Chinese code and they you know, to mimic Russian code and made claims that Russia hacked the servers because there are um, programs like that. And it was so sloppy too, because you could totally see the scene. But anyway, so then in July, CrowdStrike was paid $150,000 by the FBI two days after Comey made his announcement that Hillary Clinton is not going to be prosecuted. She was just um, really careless. And they got a couple millions from Perkins Coy, Hillary from America, the DNC, Fusion GPS, and Penn Quarterly Group. Interesting. Isn't it interesting how they failed to mention that they had hired CrowdStrike? Why would they fail to mention they hired CrowdStrike? Well, you know, it would mean that the DNC and the RNC could not hire CrowdStrike either. It's like having the same company check its work and cover for it. Come on. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, this is pretty groundbreaking because now we see that the FBI literally paid CrowdStrike and they called it an urgent critical component that was necessary. So they didn't tell us. I have put in here the transcript that clearly tells you how, you know, this gentleman had no idea. They wouldn't show him an IP address, you know, web domain, nothing. They were just dogging him around to groom him. I mean, this is typical MO of how Brennan operates. This was a beautiful plan put together and they all work together. And again, this wasn't just about President Trump. See, this was to obfuscate her emails, locate who the leaker was in their eyes, right, was a leaker. Um, I mean, if you gave someone permission to access it and you committed a crime, it's all your fault. But um, the, the byproduct was creating the enemy in case the information came out, right? Oh, Russia just made that up. That's all fake. You can't trust Russia, right? But what they did was they pinned it on President Trump because they realized that he knew all their dirty laundry. Okay, so I'm going to stop that. That was from July 19th, obviously, on my show. I've been talking about it for a longer time. But as you can see, the news are now telling you that Russia, Russia, Russia hoax was about our emails. I told you that. I told you that. You didn't need declassification because you've got me on tap. I could tell you everything because I actually heard, saw, and read everything. Everything that was needed up until, you know, <laughs> the beginning of 2020.
the beginning. That's when they shut stuff down. So yeah, that's from July. So I know this stuff way before anything. Again, I mean, how much more do I have to indicate and say, hey, I listen, I know. I showed you who unmasked Flynn before anyone knew. Nobody's even talking about the Russian ambassador. I smoke and I know things. That's what I say. So now here is Nunez telling you pretty much what I told you that Hillary Clinton approved. Come on, man. Let's be honest. They were all in on it. Don't just point. See, this is what I hate. I loathe this. I hate using the word hate. (laughs) You know what I loathe? All right. What I really loathe. It's like, all right. So now they're just going to say Hillary did this. Comey did this. Top players. No, man. The stupid rank and file that helped. All those people that groomed the IT director of the DNC. All the other people that were giving, you know, para support to all these clowns executing this should be railroaded as well. They should all go down and give them a, we should have Nuremberg trials. I'm telling you, we should, because transparency is not partisan. It shouldn't be, well, you know, the Republicans want, well, you know, the Democrat, nobody cares. All right. It should be open and there. I'm telling you, Shadowgate three is going to be pretty open and bare. I'm going to be super naked. Not literally. (laughs) Uh, not literally, but I'm going to be naked. The thing is, they're telling you, oh, she approved using Trump as, you know, blah, blah, blah for Russia hoax. Dude, they made that Russia hoax up. They were already conjuring who the enemy was that hacked them while they were trying to find her emails. Like I said, she was pissed. She wanted to know who leaked it? I had a server back, you know, over 10, 12 years ago, 17 years ago. There's this person that's been a thorn in my side. Wonder who that is, you know, still love cabbage rolls though. And so who was the one that leaked about Benghazi? Who told him about the server? That's what's up. That was the only thing. Because if you get a hold of it, it's not just her emails. It's what's attached in those emails. And we're not talking the freaky videos and the disgusting and evil and satanic things that they're into. We're talking about what they're planning for your future. You know, like that song goes by um, Stevie Wonder. People on Saturn live till they're 205. Uh, So, you know, let's let's listen to what Devin Nunes has to tell you, because I've explained to you fully who, what, when, where, how and why, why her emails. And I told you that before any D class. So, again, you know, to all those trolls that are just, you know, lurking. Yeah, that's what's up. And for those that don't want to, you know, they don't touch a few things that I talk about because they're concerned. Yeah, because you know exactly who I am. And now you're terrified. Watching you, Devin Nunes, on my show, Sunday Morning Futures, or on all shows, you said this a long time ago, your reaction to John Ratcliffe's declassifying this news. Well, the only new difference now is that we now know that the top people in the Obama administration and the FBI knew about this investigative referral. Uh, That is new news. It is breaking. I think, to your point, it's something that we've known all along, that this was designed as some type of October dirty trick, some type of October surprise. It It had all the markings of some type of disinformation operation, and we know that 
Maria, simply because all you had to do is watch all the fake news reporters back in 2016 as they were regurgitating talking points that were always trying to take Clinton talking points and the, Demo the DNC talking points and somehow nefariously tie Trump back to Russia. So that's how anybody who follows politics or watches these fake news reporters, you now know uh, that, that that's what was, what was going on. The new part about this is now the top people in the Obama administration knew about it. And I think what we need to have now, it'll be interesting to see how Comey answers some of these questions today. But we also need to know that underlying evidence. Just where did that come from? Was it really ever investigated? Because look, if you go back to that late 2016 timeframe, when that information comes to you as, as if you're in counterintelligence uh, within the FBI and you already have this circumspect investigation going on into the Trump campaign and into the Republican Party about ties to Moscow, you get something like that, it should have stopped immediately. It kind of shows uh, that they had intent, uh, that they had motive. Okay, let's just pause it on that um, picture. So let's read it for those that are listening through the podcast, okay? It says, and, and I quote, in late July 2016... <laughs> <laughs> even though they did it before. So this is the intelligence community. Listen, rank and file, right? That are telling these people this. Wait a minute. Um, her campaign is doing this. Wait, oh, wait a minute. Are you saying it's coming from that camp? Oh, no shit, Sherlock. In late July 2016, U.S. intelligence agencies obtained insight into Russian intelligence analysis alleging that U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton had approved a campaign plan to stir up a scandal against U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump by tying him to Putin and the Russians hacking of the DNC committee. The IC does not know the accuracy of this allegation or the extent to which the Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication. Now, I wonder who that IC person was that said, I don't know the accuracy of this allegation or the extent to which Russian intelligence analysis may reflect exaggeration or fabrication. <laughs> like I said, everybody tells you who they are. Look, they're telling you right there. They're telling you. See, this is it. This is it. I told you this. Look, they say in late July 2016, it was reported. Why? Because Seth Rich was then killed. So that's what prompted. What prompted was the other stuff that came right before he got killed. But Jerry's on top. So here is where some of the IC people and they're like, come on, whistleblowers. Yeah. People that are not like me that have swum with the sharks that are as dirty as they come, you know, in regards to career, not personal. Okay. Career personal. I was a sucker because I focused more on my career and that is something I regret like no other, but I was toe to toe with all of them. Hussein as well up until they retired in my general, I got in trouble for, for something. Now I'd gotten in trouble before, but I'm just going to leave it for that now. Shadowgate 3 will show you that. But I told you this. The timeline is exactly what I told you. Exactly what I told you. I'm telling you more than what this D-class is telling you. More. I'm telling you how they came up with the idea and why. Why? 
because they were doing it to cover her emails, to distract from her emails. They wanted to blame someone for her emails. Her emails are nothing. Wiener Laptop has insurance on almost everybody and their mother, Wallace. Everybody. Everybody. And that insurance is not what what concerns the United States of America. It does. And it does. Because these are crimes against humanity, crimes against people. But if we're talking on a government basis, if we can compartmentalize the evil, satanic, disgusting crimes against children and crimes against humanity and look at just government, right? And just government, right? Those didn't have that. Except for the Awan brothers that had a lot of stuff with the Pakistani intelligence. We're going to get into that with Covington later. <laughs> Covington and uh, Eric, you're in a lot of trouble when that comes out. So all of these, you know, things where people are looking at, I want you to understand, how's this? Let me, let me, let me, let me put a parenthesis here. So... Sometimes, say I have like my own Twitter account, for example. I have a Twitter account and sometimes I might be hacked, but I might let someone hack me, right? Because then they think that they have control of the inner workings, the messages, and they feel like they're in power. Now, I won't call them out yet. I won't call them out yet because, like I said, division is not necessary right now. What we need is unity. That'll come later. It'll come later when a drop comes and it's like, look at all these people that hacked. But anyway, I'm just saying, sometimes you let some people hack. And that's to take names. That's to take identifiers and that's to be able to recognize who's really on what side and what is it that really motivates them. And I know a lot of people can see motivation from what they're willing to report and not report, even though they're supposed to be in the fight. So that was my parentheses. Let's continue. That they knew about this, uh, and they were somebody told them to either bury it or they decided to bury it on their own because it sure would have blown apart the investigation that they opened up at the end of July. We're talking about all the way back in 2016, if you can believe it. And here we are, still last night, Joe Biden accusing Trump of having something to do with Russia. It's just preposterous. It's unbelievable. Your Nunes memo back in 2018 laid it all out. You told the world what was really going on. You got attacked. I put you on my show repeatedly. I got attacked. Let me ask you about this situation and what is going to happen as a result. Congressman, I reported on Sunday that I'm hearing that, first of all, we're not going to get a John Durham interim report. That's not happening. And it's unlikely we're going to get uh, indictments before the election because there's this debate going on at the DOJ that if Durham comes out with his conclusions for the criminal investigation before the election, it might seem uh, motivated by politics. Are we going to see uh, accountability? And what do you make of now this new information that Durham has expanded his investigation to actually look at the Hillary Clinton email scandal as well? 
So the answer is we truly don't know. I know that you have your sources, but I don't know that because I believe that Durham and is running a legitimate investigation. Compare this to what the Mueller team did with that whole witch hunt. You know, we knew every day there were new bombshell leaks, which now we know from the text messages, Maria, that came out just last week, that these FBI agents essentially knew at the time that I think they used the term going from supposition to supposition, essentially chasing conspiracy theories from the FBI agents that were working on the Mueller team. Compare that to Durham. Very few leaks. The only thing we know from Durham is he's put one guy has pled guilty, one of the main lawyers that was one of the engineers on this. As I've said before many times on your show, this is a huge, sprawling uh, conspiracy. So the question should be which Durham, which one is doing the indictments and which one is doing the reports? We've said this before. We've said this before. That has to be un un unwound because it involves people, every, every branch of our intelligence agencies, for one, including the Department of Defense, including whatever was, was going on over in England and the UK uh, with that Cambridge group. And I know your viewers understand what I'm talking about, but this is a huge investigation. Look, uh, I would like to see some type of interim report. I would like to know before this election, before we vote, uh, what exactly the, the other side, the Democrats were doing back in 2016. So, and I think the American people should know this. I, mean, I, think, I think the DOJ has a responsibility if there's something that they can show the American people before the election, I think they have a duty and responsibility to do it because I will tell you, um, you know, once you get past the election, uh, you know, yeah, there, there may be a bunch of people that get indicted, uh, but you could have a lot of Americans scratching their heads saying, wow, I wish I knew that before I before I made my vote. And look, once again, you had to have Donald yeah. Trump had to bring this up last night directly to Joe Biden because no one's asking Biden the questions of what was his involvement? You know, he President Trump said, why did you bring up the Logan Act? Biden didn't answer that question. I just want to yeah. Maria, I don't know if you mind or not, but the last night Biden had very little content in that debate. Matter of fact, there were only two things that I could that I could make sense of that he actually said of any consequence. One, he was going to raise the tax rate back yeah. up to 28 percent. Now, you know this before before the tax cuts were, were put in effect, jobs were leaving overseas. So I guess that's going to continue. The other thing is, is that if you're in a Democratic run state or Democratic run city, we're going to continue yeah. uh, to be on lockdown in those cities and states. That's Biden's plan to solve the coronavirus. I mean, come on. And then there's all these yeah. unanswered questions that Biden refused to answer last night. Yeah, it's true. Let me bring let me bring Mark Penn in real quick, Mark, because you've run debate preparation. You've run strategy and analysis for presidents and numerous presidential candidates in the past. Do you think Biden got away with being able to dodge important questions as the congressman's talking about? Well, having done that, I thought Biden was incredibly well prepared for the debate. But I was really quite surprised that on, on the court packing question, the filibuster question, he was allowed to say, quote, answering the question would be a distraction. It seems to me that voters would want to know whether or not he's going to pack the court and that that would be a big issue that he handed the Republicans. I think I think I think Chris pushed Trump on the on the tax stuff, but didn't push Biden on the Hunter yeah. Biden stuff. And he quickly tried to to change the topic. So I think there was a little moderator help going yeah, on here. All right. Moderator help. All right. Listen, we'll take a short break. We've got breaking news on the other yeah, side. Can't say that. It's can't great say to that. Thanks so much. Can't say that. How dare you say that on my show that Wallace is corrupt like his daddy on Lolita Express. No, 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 no. Hmm. Can't say that. 
Mm-mm. Can't say that. Okay. So bottom line is we already have everything we need and everyone's really, really frustrated. Really frustrated. Why are they still out here? Why aren't they in jail? Because it doesn't work like that. Because unfortunately, people are not as solid as you would think they are. You might be solid, but not everyone is. They jump like nobody's business. I had people that were listening to me for over two years. I've been spot on with everything. And the minute, you know, the military industrial complex grifter, blackmailer, toy boy, soy boy attacks me, they jump off and they're attacking me too. And it's like, um, all right, fair enough. Because that's the thing. The president sees that he's not dumb. He sees exactly who everyone is. He knows exactly who Maria Bartiromo is. He knows where all, where all of them sit. He knows where, and the thing is, I'm aware of where they all sit. I'm pretty sure you guys do too. It's all about the blue check marks. It's all about it. It's all about the blue check marks. It's all about the brand names. You've been told this before. And I only have one Twitter account. One. You follow other accounts of mine. Not on Twitter though. So, um... I just wanted to say this is going to be coming pretty, pretty hard now. I told you that today was that turning point. I said that months ago. Just watch out for September 30th. It's around there. Mm -hmm. And then they came out 29th. We're having our first debate, which was rubbish. It was just um, like watching the movie Avatar, (laughs) but not really. So I'm going to play a little jingle. And we're getting back to the Comey hearing. That way the jingles help me separate uh, the videos. So that way when I upload them on YouTube, for those that use YouTube, it'll be Comey, consistent, just Comey, and then the Tory Says Show. Um, I wanted to say more today, but we'll keep that for tomorrow because it's October 1st tomorrow. And we're down to the wire now, okay? 34 days, man. We're down to the wire and um, it's about to get super duper interessante. So let's, yeah, let's play um, my favorite tune. And I'll see you on the other end of the tune with um, more lies. I don't want to set the word. Just wanna start a flame in your heart. Yes, sir. Here we go. More lies. Thank you very much. Uh, was that a sufficient break for you? You're okay. Yes. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, uh, Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Comey, we've heard a number of things this morning. We've heard you say a number of times that the OIG found problems in FISA applications across the board. But of course, it was only this FISA applications, these involving Carter Page that you signed off on, that drew an unprecedented rebuke from the FISA court, which I'm sure you remember. 
Let me just quote from that FISA court order. The frequency and seriousness of these errors in a case that, given its sensitive nature, had an unusually high level of review at both DOJ and the Federal Bureau of Investigation have called into question the reliability of the information proffered in other FBI applications. Do you remember that that order from the court? It came after I left, as I recall, but I remember reading about it, yes. And have you ever known the court to issue any other such order that you're familiar with? Yes. You have known the court to issue orders rebuking the FBI for misleading it in the past? Yes. Uh, shortly before 9-11, there was significant criticism by the FISA court of the quality of FISA applications. And the court said that the frequency and seriousness of the errors in, this, in applications led it to doubt the, the reliability of all FBI ap applications in all other cases? I don't remember the exact words, but something similar. And as I recall, they banned at least one agent from appearing in FISA applications. Yeah, well, that's not what they did here. I mean, in this case, the FISA court said that they had reason to doubt the reliability of FBI applications across cases because of the level of misleading information that you personally signed off on. Do you regret your role in this unprecedented misleading of a FISA court? I don't regret my role. I regret that Why it not? happened. I'm sorry? Why don't you regret your role in the unprecedented misleading of a FISA court? Well, I regret that the FBI supplied information to a FISA court that was inaccurate, incomplete, and should have been updated. Do you and regret I, that I, you signed off on it? Well, I regret that it happened. I, the only reason I'm hesitating is the, what the FBI director does in connection with a FISA is actually very narrow. But put that to the side. It's important that it be accurate. Uh, and it wasn't. And I regret that very much. Uh, listen, uh, you said this several times. I frankly don't understand it. The, the certification that the statute requires is a certification by the FBI director as to the contents of the application. You signed off on it. The FISA court said it was so misleading that it now had reason to doubt the FBI's truthfulness across the board. Are you responsible for these certifications or not? I don't believe you're accurately describing the statutory requirement for Are you responsible for these certifications or not? Answer my question. I sign certifications on every FISA that the FBI sends over to the FISA court, including these. Are you responsible for this misleading evidence given to the FISA court? Yes or no? Yes, in the sense of command responsibility. No, in that I didn't have personal knowledge that would have led me to understand and we weren't supplying complete information. Let's talk about what personal knowledge you have. When you certified the first Carter Page FISA application, you believed that Mr. Steele was working for the Democratic Party, didn't you? I don't remember the, whether I knew the Democratic Party. I knew that he was working for political opponents of President Trump. Now, let me remind you of your testimony under oath on December 7th, 2018, before the House Oversight Committee, in which you said, and I quote, Steele was retained by Republicans adverse to Mr. Trump during the primary season, and then his work was underwritten after that by Democrats, opposed to Mr. Trump during the general election season, end quote. Now, surely you recognized at the time that relying so heavily on a biased source would undermine public confidence in the FBI's activities, didn't you? No, I did not. Why wouldn't you? You told the same committee, the House Oversight Committee, December 7, 2018, and I quote, when you're the leader of a justice agency, that's you, the appearance of bias is as important as the existence of actual bias. You also said a reasonable appearance of bias can corrupt the Americans' people's faith in your work as much as actual bias can. Do you stand by those remarks? Very much so. But you nevertheless allowed the Democratic Party to leverage the federal government's most invasive intelligence capabilities against President Trump, and you 
personally signed off on it. You also knew at the time that other officials in the Department of Justice had serious concerns. Do you know who Stuart Evans is? I do. Mr. Evans was a lawyer in the National Security Division of DOJ under President Obama, wasn't he? I think he was, I don't know for sure. I think he was a career official at the Department of Justice involved. He was a lawyer in the National Security Division of the Department of Justice. Before the first Carter Page FISA application, Mr. Evans raised serious concerns about the ostensibly partisan nature of the information provided by Mr. Steele. Did he not? I don't know. He did. The inspector general reports it on pages 136 and 137 of this report. And you knew of those concerns before you signed off on the FISA application, didn't you? I don't think I knew before. I remember reading the footnote that attempted to inform the court of potential bias. No, actually, the the inspector general found on page 139 of the report, and I quote, on October 12th, 2016, Evans' concerns about Steele were briefed to Comey, end quote. And yet you signed off knowing, knowing that the research was funded by the Democratic Party knowing that senior officials in the Department of Justice National Security Division had serious concerns, you signed off. Nonetheless, let's talk about what else you knew or didn't know. When you certified that FISA application, did you know the allegations in the Steele dossier came from subsources, not from Steele's own knowledge? I believe I did know. He had a network of sources and subsources, correct. Did you know who this primary subsource was? No. Did you ask who the primary subsource was? No. Did you ask the FBI to take any steps to identify that source before submitting this application to the FISA court? I don't know whether I asked. I knew there was an effort underway to try to replicate Steele's source network so we could figure out what to make of Steele's reporting. Well, what the attorney, what the inspector general concluded was that Comey told us, this is page 153, that the application seemed factually and legally sufficient when he read it, and he had no questions or concerns before he signed it. Surely you realize that the source's identity and his motives, this subsource, who we now know may well have been a Russian agent, that that would affect his credibility, correct? I thought it was important that we were informing the court of any potential bias from any source. And I remember reading language in this, in that initial filing that addressed that potential bias issue with respect to the Steele reporting. So I'm sorry, your testimony now is that you inform the court of potential problems with the subsource, uh, political motivations, uh, connections to foreign governments. The FISA court was informed about that? No, I'm sorry. I understood your question to be about whether we informed the court about potential bias in Steele's reporting. I didn't know the identity or any information about subsources. So you personally authorized an unprecedented surveillance on an individual associated with the presidential campaign during that campaign's ongoing time period, October of 2016, you signed off personally on two further applications based on information from a source that you believed correctly worked for the Democratic Party. And the source's information, it turns out, was coming from a suspected Russian agent, yet you did nothing to try to verify any of this information. You brushed aside the concerns of high-level national security lawyers at the Department of Justice How are the American people to trust you or the FBI following abuses like this? I disagree extensively with your predicate. I think the FBI is an organization that is honest, competent, independent, and also flawed because it's made up of human beings. Well, I have to say, I'm I'm not necessarily worried about the FBI as a whole. I'm worried about you. And I'm worried about what you certified to a court that led the FISA court to conclude that it had been misled repeatedly 
and that due to the nature of that, those repeated misrepresentations, it could no longer trust what the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the agency, you led, what it said in subsequent cases. That, I suggest to you, is an incredible dereliction of duty, indeed a betrayal of your responsibility as director of the FBI. Uh, if I could, uh, Mr. Chairman, just one last thing I, I want to follow up on. The, the letter from uh, to, uh, to Chairman Graham from John Ratcliffe, which I know you've seen, Mr. Comey, as you mentioned it earlier, uh, Mr. Ratcliffe says on, on 7 September 2016, U.S. intelligence officials forwarded an investigative referral to FBI Director James Comey regarding U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's approval of a plan concerning Donald Trump and Russian hackers as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail server, end quote. Did you open an investigation? I don't know what that refers to. As I said earlier, that does not ring any bells with me when I read that. You, you did not receive any investigative referral of this nature? I don't remember it. I don't, I don't remember receiving anything that's described in that letter. I, I have to say, Mr. Chairman, I realize my time has expired. I find it extraordinary that a referral from the IC to the FBI regarding Hillary Clinton's campaign and potential illicit activity received no no attention from the FBI. So little attention, the director doesn't even recall it. And yet, the director and others had plenty of time to go and seek surveillance warrants during an ongoing presidential campaign. Warrants so flawed that the FISA court has now said it can't trust what the FBI says in future cases. This is an extraordinary abuse of power, and it's time we hold people responsible for it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Blumenthal. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Comey, thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you for your service to our nation, and thank you for your families as well, your wife's in particular. Uh, huh. This is the guy that's going to go down for moving drugs from Venezuela with his uh, container companies. I think that this hearing is likely to attract as much attention and land with the same giant thud as the previous two hearings, because the American people are really focused on the direct and imminent threats to our nation. The pandemic continues to kill almost a thousand Americans a day due to the cruel indifference and callous neglect of this administration. People are continuing to lose jobs. I know one of his ex-boy toys. Are unemployed and our small businesses are struggling. And here we are relitigating a controversy that is four years old involving an investigation into Russian interference that occurred in 2016 when the really imminent and urgent threat is Russian interference ongoing at this very This limp-wristed idiot speaking now is insanely rich, director, one of the top Senate Senator rich guys. William Evanina warned publicly, quote, Russia continues to spread disinformation in the U.S. that is designed to undermine our democracy. And I can say dang, dang, that the information dick. we've received in briefings is absolutely chilling. We've received that information in confidential, classified briefings that I wish could be made known to the American public with the same kind of alacrity that 
documents have been declassified in this proceeding. The American people deserve to know about that threat, which is ongoing. And they also need to know about the threat of white supremacists. The current director of the FBI has said, again publicly, racially motivated violent extremists are a, quote, national threat priority. A national threat priority, a security danger to this country. They are the same white supremacists that the President of the United States last night said should stand by. That statement is one of the most abhorrent and horrifying in my lifetime. Mr. Comey, in your time as FBI director, did you see an uptick in white supremacist activities in the United States? And if so, (laughs) with what kinds of consequences? Yes, is my recollection. And the consequences were potential acts of violence, intimidation of people of color, all the things that come with a criminal group with an aim that is at its heart evil racism. Did you regard it as a national security threat in the way that uh, Mr. Ray has articulated? Yes, it was assigned to our counterterrorism division, which focuses on national security threats. Do you think that more resources should be devoted to this threat? Hard for me to answer since I've been gone now for close to four years. Um, it, you can never have enough people with eyes on a problem that poses a violent threat the way these groups do. I've introduced a measure called the No Hate Act, along with a number of my colleagues, uh, Senators Durbin, Dorono, Warner, Kane, Gillibrand, and others. And there's a measure on the House side as well that would seek to address this growing imminent threat of white supremacists impact and violence rather than telling them to stand by. And I commend you and the current director, Mr. Ray, for focusing on it. I wanna turn to the uh, statements that uh, earlier you made in response to Senator Durbin's inquiry about the $421 million in debt that has been disclosed as owing by the president. You've done a number of national security background checks. And in the course of those background checks, my understanding is that a standard question relates to debt owed by individuals. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And the reason for that question is to indicate and disclose whether or not that individual has concealed any of that debt, correct? Okay, so do you see how impeachment two happens and how they are dying for FISA? Are you getting this yet? So we had a conversation months ago, a year ago and two years ago on air together, where I said that the intelligence community is riddled with people that are wrong for the intelligence community because what they do is they use companies like Clearforce 
So I'm going to take off my sombrero. I'm going to tell you something and you're going to see it happen. There is a report that General Jones put together pooling all information on not just President Trump, but his children and their children, (laughs) his ex-wife, Marla Maples too, and Melania, everybody and their mother, any investor they have, they pulled all their social media, phone calls, texts, all illegally, all illegally. But guess what? Kind of legal because they've been given that authority by the federal government. See, Shadowgate told you what they do. They hijack you. But we also told you about Clearforce. I told you that Roger Stone's case was very important because the D.C. courts use General Jones's shadow net, and it's not his. Patrick Berge made it. But they use that software to predict if you are a liability. Now, because they have and are now past tense in some contracts, Here's what they did to President Trump. They created a report that says that his financials were not so good. That's why he was pissed. And you know what pisses me off more? Is that the people around him should have told him earlier. Because I knew. Why didn't they know? The people around President Trump should have told him that they have used avenues through the Office of Personnel Management to create reports that are supported by all the agencies since they have this contract in place. It doesn't mean that they do support it, but since they have contracts with them and that's how they select their individuals, then, ergo, it's valid, even though it was done under Barack Hussein Obama. So these generals, like Hayden said, too late. Goodbye. He tweeted out. Do you know why? Because they submitted a report saying that the president is compromised. So he'd be willing to sell his country out for money because he's in debt. Like he cares. He's got a foot in the grave, right? What does he have? 10 more years left? 20 with, with, with modern medicine. And he's worried about money. No, he's not. Cause if he was, he wouldn't be donating his salary. So the new, the new push are those reports, his kids under microscopes. But, you know, I said it. I even said it to someone that used to work in the White House that dealt with press that has been fired. Or what did they say? Left so they can go into the private sector. They didn't tell him. Because if they did tell him, they would have had the ammo for this. Now, that's okay, because that was foreseen. The last thing anyone wants is to be retweeted by the president. I don't know about you guys, but if he retweets me, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. That's the worst thing that can happen. And I'd prefer that he doesn't communicate directly with me either. Because that's when super probes happen. I'm telling you that right now. 
All of you. If he ever retweets one of you, be like, oh my gosh, the president retweeted me. That is putting the biggest spotlight on you like nobody's business. The only way he'll retweet someone average is if, if it's a bucket account and not like, you know, like a completely non-attribution type account. Again, I'm telling you this now. Clear force was used to create these reports on the president. This is the second time you're hearing it. I thought I would elaborate because this loser is all in. He's in a lot of trouble with his container. So is Pelosi. Again, they are coming at our president with anything they've got. Our president is under fire from every single direction, from our health to our economy, to our infrastructure, to our intelligence, to our law enforcement. And we've got foreign wars sparking that our toes are in. And not only that, personally, he's under attack. These are extraordinary times that require extraordinary people. And Comey, you prick. You're going down so hard because there's so many out there. And I'm just so upset that there aren't more of me's coming out. More. I need more of me's coming out. I need more tours out. Where are the tours, man? Correct. One aspect of exploring their financial situation is that. Why is it that those facts are important? Because deciding whether someone is trustworthy with national security information involves understanding whether they're vulnerable to exploitation by an adversary. See, this is why they do it wrong. Nobody cares. We have the technology to crunch it. You already know if someone's going to sell their country out because they're broke. I'm going to smack that face right there. It's so disgusting. So disgusting. Forgive me. Forgive me for being so upset. They're so brazen about it. They're not even trying to hide it now. By a criminal group. So if somebody owes a lot of money and is trying to hide that, that allows adversaries to gain leverage over that person and maybe force them to do something they shouldn't do. It's a tool we use to try and recruit foreign government officials to become assets of the United States government. And so adversaries do the same to us. So the president of the United States, of course, is not subject to any background security investigation, uh, as most high-ranking officials are. But it is the concealment of that debt, not only its gargantuan size, but the hiding of it, that potentially makes him vulnerable to blackmail or extortion or other improper. So now they're going to say that for four years, the president has had had a debt years ago. And now that debt is. Oh, my gosh. Look at his face. It looks so evil. Um, And now that debt is coming back and he's selling our country to who? Who is he selling it to? Think about it for a second. Listen to what they're telling you. He's selling it to who? Who is he sending it, selling it to? Russia? Are you kidding? China. What? Who is he selling it to? He's not friends with anybody to sell us to. Is he selling us to aliens? Hmm? What's he selling us to? What is this guy talking about? He's bringing jobs here, creating enemies everywhere because he's putting our nation first, America first. Satanists. Disgusting. Influence, correct? That's right. But even if it were fully transparent, there'd still be a concern about vulnerability. 
that the adversary could try and cut a secret deal to reduce the debt, even if the public knows about the debt. So any individual in a position of responsibility who is concealing a debt, as well as the debt itself, makes him or her more likely to be an asset. It's not because they don't want to be on the paper being smeared and laughed at. Jesus. It creates a serious counterintelligence concern that you'd want to address in, in deciding on a clearance suitability for an employee. So now the president is an employee. Is that what you're saying? Or are you doing this to make sure that people that aren't from D.C. come into play? Man, all of these losers. If I had, if I, seriously, guys, if I had the financial ability, I would be down there with the biggest freaking broom ever. And I'm telling you, I don't. But after 2021, the first person that I am going to actively engage in impeaching is Lindsey Graham. Mark my words. I will be down there lobbying, collecting signatures, and leading the pack to remove that clown. I will do that from state to state as long as I am able to. This is unacceptable. We can't have people like that in office anymore. And who's going to replace Lindsey Graham? I'll find a patriot somewhere on Twitter, Aitken, the Chan boards, Facebook. That's a local. There you go. That's who we're putting a real America first patriot that has debt, Comey, because unlike you, he wasn't fed with a silver spoon in his mouth, right? Just like Strzok, your daddies, all buddies, we know, we already know. No more DC clicks, no more high school mean girls. You guys are done. You're toast. You're finished. It's going to be the people. And like I said, the work is starting in 2021, and I'm definitely going to go. Lindsey Graham, I made him a promise this morning. I told him, I just made you a promise. Dude, I follow through on my stuff. When I make a promise, the only way I'm not doing it is if I'm dead. And that's actually questionable too, considering, well, I came, I go, well, yeah, still going to get it done. So uh, <laughs> listen to them. This is the foundations for what they're leading up to. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Comey. Thank you, uh, Senator Tillis, but just follow up on uh, Senator Blumenthal's questions. Uh, <clears throat> would you be concerned about a counterintelligence threat or a compromise if a candidate's family member was receiving millions of dollars from a corrupt company in the Ukraine, that a candidate's family member was receiving millions of dollars from the deputy mayor of Moscow, that a candidate's family member was getting a billion and a half dollar uh, investment portfolio from the China bank. Would that concern you? If I were still the FBI, I'd be concerned about any effort to exert leverage over a government official, potential government official, or someone close to them in an effort to influence them. Thank you very much, Senator Tillis. Chairman, if I may just clarify, uh, the, the question you've just raised is a hypothetical relating to a non current non-government official. Oh, let's like not talk about Biden right now. We're just not talking about someone current. We're talking about current people right now, like the president and his family. So 
uh, you know, that's hypothetical. It's not freaking hypothetical. Oh my gosh, Blumenthal, if I could only speak, but I do not want to go to Leavenworth. I got eight more years of work to do here. Ooh. What we have here and what the records reveal quite starkly is that the president of the United States, our commander in chief, is vulnerable to leverage and manipulation, even possible blackmail. I understand your point, and uh, you have a right to make it. The point I was making is very real. It's not a hypothetical. These things happen. Senator Tillis. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Comey, for being here. Um, Mr. Comey, we, I'm not going to ask some questions that have already been asked by prosecutors and lawyers um, uh, whose preambles and predicates you have rejected. So instead of getting a non-answer, I want to go more from a management perspective. We had General Horowitz before this committee, Inspector General Horowitz, and he identified, as you're aware, the 17 errors and omissions. And I, um, as I look at some of the errors and omissions, uh, do you think, uh, we know one that was identified uh, as a crime, uh, what do we do with the remainder? I mean, do you accept uh, General Hurwitz's reports and his findings? Do you think that they were valid? I do, and I hope that it was followed by a root cause analysis, which any enterprise ought to engage in to figure out, so exactly why did this happen and how should we change to make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, let's say that you came in as the, the new director of the FBI after the prior director uh, had their organization studied. We found these errors and omissions. If, if it didn't rise to a level of a crime, in your opinion, do you think it at least uh, should have prompted terminations and disciplinary action on the part of, these are all highly trained, highly educated, highly experienced professionals in the FBI. And by the way, the majority of them are great people, but it's a big organization. But what about the remainder? I mean, it, you're the new director. You've got this report from the inspector general. What do you do? What What is your remediation plan? I've heard you say that you would want to streamline the Pfizer process. I may get a question in on that, but what would you be doing right now to address the 16 other errors and omissions that occurred under prior to your watch? I'd be doing two things, looking wide and looking narrow, wide to see what the systematic problems are, looking narrow to try and understand. So when these employees made these decisions, what were they thinking? Severe misconduct turns on whether someone was intentionally engaging in wrongdoing. And there's a range of misconduct short of that. You'd want to assess that with respect to everybody with personal knowledge and then make your judgments based on that. You were quoted, I want to read this so I don't get your words wrong, but you were quoted as saying the Pfizer process was followed and that the entire case was handled in a thoughtful, responsible way by the DOJ and the FBI. You went on to say the notion that Pfizer was abused is nonsense. Do you still stand by that? I don't. I don't think it was abused, but I think I was wrong in having confidence in the Pfizer process and in the layers of oversight and review. I was too confident in this extensive, really very complicated system. The, uh, what would have prompted you on the front sure. end to think that it was okay? I think that you already said in prior testimony that uh, there were things in the Pfizer process that should have been approved. Why under your watch weren't we already trying to do those kinds yeah. of changes? Well, my confidence was based on the fact that it was regular oversight by the Department of Justice, regular audits of our cases, and then I also understood the, the complexity of the process. Agents would complain to me everywhere I went, it's too hard to get a FISA, too many people have to check off on it, too many people have to review my work. So knowing the process, which included regular audits, gave me confidence. 
as any leader, as a business leader or government leader, that we have a sound, healthy process. And that was wrong. Mr. Comey, one of the things that worry me about this is we're talking about an investigation of someone who was running for president of the United States. Um, I, like uh, Senator Sass, had re resisted some of the, uh, the changes that my colleague, uh, Senator Lee, was putting forward, but I felt like I had confidence in a process that clearly um, I shouldn't have, and, and even the FISA court has uh, express their concerns with the information presented to them. But you know what I really worry about? I worry about people that would never have a hearing on their case before the Senate Judiciary Committee. I mean, we're here because we're talking about a high-profile elected official. But do you have any concerns that the same sorts of lapses that were used here, and I do think people should be held accountable and prosecuted, do you have any concerns if we go back over the, over the course of the FISA process that we've had innocent people out there subjected to the same process and potentially wrongfully received a warrant and surveillance? Sure, it's a reasonable concern. The Inspector General did a look across dozens of cases and found mistakes, I think he said, in every case. That's a serious concern that there's a systemic problem. Now, that doesn't mean that the warrants wouldn't have been issued otherwise, but that's besides the point. There was an issue, and if I were still there, it would be something I'd be thinking about every day, and I suspect Chris Ray is. Well, Mr. Comey, I've got another question. I remember General Inspector General Horowitz, uh, I asked a series of questions because in, in the report, uh, when he talked about a possible political motivation for the behavior of some of those involved and, and, uh, and identified in the investigation, I asked him about, you know, did he see any evidence of a political motivation? He said that was murky. But if you've gone through it, and I'm sure that you have, um, do you believe that, that this whole process was absent any political bias against the president of the United States, that it was just void of political bias, just a paperwork error or a business process that needed to be streamlined? Or how do, do you feel about that murky description that General Horowitz gave to the motivations of people. We've seen all the emails and the communications, uh, Viva La Resistance. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you honestly think that this process at the, uh, at the uh, operator level was truly devoid of any political bias? I do, and that, I'm not just saying that, I'm saying that because I read Horowitz's 400 page report where I think the most important finding is in case opening and the conduct and the investigative decisions, there was no evidence found of political bias. And so you don't think Horowitz it's... Oh, say it. Go ahead. If Horowitz finds something, he knows how to say it. And he found the opposite. And so that's why I say that. But why would why would Inspector General Horowitz, who I think is you know a, a very capable Inspector General, go so far as to say it was murky? You, you say that there's, there's uh, no doubt, but we have him say it was murky based on the same information that I read in the report. I don't know where the, I'm sorry, Stan, I don't know where the murky comment comes from. I'm talking about the report itself, which I've read very carefully a number of times. And he makes that finding. We found no evidence of political bias in any phase of this investigation. Okay, just final question, Mr. Chair. I, I did start about a, uh, 45 seconds late. Um, uh, I know Hunter Biden was appointed to Burisma in 2014, the board, uh, while you were the FBI director and, and uh, Vice President Biden was in, in office. Did you have any concerns uh, or did, did you have any concerns about that with uh, or express any concerns with Vice President Biden? 
I never learned anything about it. I, I didn't know anything about it when I was FBI director. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Could I see that, please? Yeah. Senator Hirono will be next, but I just want to make sure. Uh, Senator Hirono. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Oh, my gosh. She's going to talk now. Noted that he is committed to trying to save the FISA system. And in fact, uh, OIG Horowitz dug very deep into the crossfire hurricane. EMP at all, President Trump. That's it. Just EMP it. Mr. Comey noted he found no evidence of political bias. But he did note a number of changes that should be made to the FISA application process. And in fact, FBI Director Ray is doing those changes. And so if we are committed to making changes to the application process and we all share that concern, the hearing today should be focused on whether or not the FBI, in fact, is making those changes that uh, Inspector Horowitz flagged out in his very thorough investigation. Mr. Chairman, we understand that DNI Radcliffe oh, issued a statement claiming that the declassified information, selective declassification, uh, declassified information he released yesterday about Hillary Clinton from Russian sources, quote, is not Russian disinformation, end quote, and yet he acknowledged that the information he released may be, quote, a fabrication. I find it just amazing that we have DNI Ratcliffe issuing this kind of information practically on the eve of an election, making an allegation, in fact, pushing out. It's not an allegation, it's a fact. He acknowledges, and Mr. Chairman, I think we should have him before this committee so we can. No, you need him. me in front of that committee so the I can Intelligence show you. Community Special Counsel Mueller and the Bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee all found that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. And uh, Mr. Chairman, you have acknowledged that. We all know this. And we also know that the interference was in favor of Donald Trump. And they clearly did not give any weight to Russia's effort to smear Hillary Clinton, and this committee should not either. And more important, I do associate myself with the comments made by the Democrats on this committee who are wondering, along with the American people, why we are going over the same thing that we've already, you know, that we've already gone over that it has to do with the the premises underlying the excuse me the crossfire hurricane investigation. So we know this is being done somehow to um, bolster Donald Trump's reelection campaign through innuendo and misinformation, which even today Russia is pushing up. So we should be concerned about what's going on in the 2020 election. And. I have to say thanks to President Trump and my Republican colleagues. Here we are sitting here. Millions of people are without health care. Millions of people are, are without jobs. And rather than dealing with the very real concerns of the American people in the midst of a pandemic, we are having this hearing to go over ground that we've already covered. Let me get to some questions to Mr. Comey. I know that, that DNI Radcliffe released a an allegation that he obtained from Russian sources, which he himself said is admitted as much, not really. Okay, I'm not Russian. I'm not Russian. Totally not Russian. She needs to shut up. I'm not Russian. Reliable. Mr. Comey, as the former FBI director, do you think it is appropriate for DNI Radcliffe to release this information right before the election? 
it's hard for me to comment because I don't fully understand what he's doing there. The goal of the intelligence community, which includes the FBI, should be to stay out of influencing elections except to discharge our duty to protect our democracy and ensure that foreign adversaries aren't operating in the United States. Mr. Comey, you know that uh, what Russia is doing right now is to use this kind of disinformation to interfere with our elections. So they're engaging in malign foreign influence as described by FBI Director Ray. And I'd say putting out this kind of information that makes a certain kind of allegations about uh, Hillary Clinton is the kind of disinformation that Russia is engaging in right now. And um, I know you're aware that Russia is very good at using social, social media, the use of proxies, state media, online journals, et cetera. In fact, there's, they're really focused on those kinds of interference at this moment. So the kind of information that DNI Radcliffe released would that be consistent with Russia's disinformation efforts, Mr. Comey? I don't know enough to say, Senator. I'd say we can draw our own conclusions. Earlier this month, one of the top prosecutors working on U.S. Attorney John Durham's investigation into the origins of Russia's, Russia's probe resigned. She reportedly left out a concern that the team was pressured for political reasons to issue a report before completing its work. And just last week, we saw Attorney General Barr disclose previously classified evidence relating to Mr. Durham's ongoing investigation into the origins of the Russia probe, a release designed to bolster President Trump's re-election chances. We also saw the Justice Department coordinate with the White House on multiple press releases about a just open investigation into allegedly discarded ballots in Pennsylvania. You testified just now that uh, these kinds of actions raise concerns about bias, appearance of bias, and here we have the Attorney General making these kinds of disclosures. Do you think that th these actions reflect a bias or appearance of bias on the part of Attorney General Barr? It's difficult for me to say about the particulars that I don't know well enough, but I can say generally, Attorney General Barr has embraced a concept for his role that I believe is at odds with the nature of that department. It yes, needs to be trusted by all Americans. There have been all kinds of articles about uh, Attorney General Barr's politicization of the Attorney General's office. And do you think that that is a, a concern for all of us? And why? Yes, it ought to be a concern for all of us because we need that institution and we need that institution to be seen as separate from our tribal warfare because it has to be trusted by jurors and cops and witnesses and judges of all political stripes. We have to be seen as the Department of Justice is outside of all of that. And when the Attorney General starts acting like the personal lawyer for the president, it threatens that. And that is a priceless thing that's under threat. And we've already seen a number of the career professionals at the DOJ resigning, even though I acknowledge, and I want to, I want to acknowledge all of the professionals who continue to do their jobs in the DOJ. Just one more question, Mr. Chairman. You've been asked a number of questions about the $400 million that uh, President Trump owes. How important is it that the American public should know who that money is owed to? And do you think that we should require all presidential candidates to disclose significant sums of money that they owe to entities or even countries? 
My opinion on both of those questions is worth no more than any other Americans. We should all want to understand what's going on with our leaders so we can make a, a sound choice when we vote in November. And I'll just leave it there. I think you testified it's particularly important for those of us who hold offices of public trust to disclose those to whom we owe large sums of money because we are then uh, opening ourselves up to various kinds of influences that would not be good for our country. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just want to make a brief comment. We'll go to Senator Ernst. As to the Radcliffe uh, revelations, why do they matter? <clears throat> I don't know how accurate the underlying intelligence is. I know that people have said it wasn't Russian disinformation, but is it true or not is not the question for me. The question is, how can it be that on September the 7th, 2016, the intelligence community asked the director of the FBI, the assistant director of counterintelligence, Peter Strzok, uh, to look into the regarding U.S. presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's <coughs> approval of a plan concerning U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and Russian hacking hampering U.S. elections as a mean of, means of distracting the public from her use of a private mail email server. The only thing I'm suggesting is that's a pretty big deal. Everything Trump has been looked at with Russia, apparently nobody looked at this. Apparently this was just swept under the rug. And the point we're trying to make here is there is a double standard, as obvious as night and day, and this is, if anything, the smoking gun. Uh, Senator Ernst. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate that. Um, Director Comey. Now, on that note, I want to wish you guys a wonderful evening. God bless, and I'll see you tomorrow. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame